Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. My name is Phil Hawthorne. Joining me as usual, I've got my partner in crime, Mr. Rohan Karamandi. How's it going? Good. How are you? And today we are joined by Dan from the USA. Hey, Dan. Hey, Phil. Thanks. Good to be here. This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that supports the Home Assistant and ESP home projects. Configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certs, or any other YAML. So, Dan, whereabouts in the States are you? Uh, it's uh, Connecticut. We're recently supposed to get hit by a hurricane, but and thought I might not have power yet, but <laughs> we got pretty much nothing so oh wow that's well i guess that's better than yeah having no power yeah all right so yeah i guess um let's uh obviously you reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io and said hey i love the show and, and you know want to come on and, and talk about some a uh, little bit of the stuff i've done so i guess let's uh start off with you know how you sort of got started with home assistant i've always been sort of interested in computers and electronics and in 2012, I think, I mm-hmm. started as a backer for Smart Things on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. yep. And even before that, I'd been interested in home automation, but was never quite sure what to buy. Um, there didn't seem to be, you know quite as any bundled packages yeah um, it was very high-end stuff as well like if you wanted to get into anything home automation before i think your only options were really stuff like x10 or yeah, you yeah. had to go into like the tens of thousands of dollars and a proper you know like the, yeah. the rich people mansions would have right control four or something yeah exactly yeah about a year and a half ago um i started I switched over to Home Assistant uh, mainly because um, I had heard that SmartThings would eventually be retiring the the um, Generation 1 hub that I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I so I when I switched over, I loved uh, Home Assistant. Um, I told friends, I, you know, I uh, didn't quite recommend it to people who weren't computer savvy or um there's always technical issues but yeah um, yeah they've gotten a lot better a lot lot better in the past year and a half that i've been using it so um i may uh you know even recommend it to the less technically savvy uh i'm thinking of setting up my dad with it um nice yeah i and i like their their ui um isn't you know isn't as dumbed down as the other like consumer uh focused uh products and i'm hoping that things will stay that way i know like you know the consumer focused products they tend to as time goes on, dumb down the UI and hide all the advanced features. Mm. One uh, one platform that I use that I um, wanted to talk about, I've never heard it mentioned here, is called My Sensors. Mm. Um, it's um, I guess kind of similar to ESP Home in that you right. create your own devices. And yeah, ESP Home, I like, I've used it a little, um, easy to use, uh, but this, uh, my sensors, um, it requires a bit more, really have to be a programmer to use it. Um, yeah, right. it'll, it will run on the, the Arduino, um, are you familiar with those? Yeah. Um. It's a little um, programmable and like a chip, innovative right? board. Um, yeah. it, it will run on those, and you can program a lot more logic into the board itself than you can with ESP Home, I think. Mm-hmm. I also like, um, I 
haven't actually done this, but, um, you know, if you want to create something that runs on battery power, the my sensors, um, they use RF chips for communication that are much low, much more low powered than Wi-Fi. Or yeah, power. interesting. Because that was going to be so, my next question. Because I've seen like my sensors is pretty popular. Um, I, I see you know a lot of people recommending them on the community forums. Um, but I've always thought you know uh, maybe they're like maybe do you remember Rahan like Happy Bubbles those like little yeah. Bluetooth beacons? I just assumed my sensors and, and Happy Bubbles were the same thing. I'm guessing. You know, completely different by the sound of it, yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah, like if you know, ESP Home obviously you know has Bluetooth, Wi-Fi. Oh, sorry, ESP thirty two chips have Bluetooth and Wi-Fi in them, so you know you need to power them via you know some form of power pack similar to a Raspberry Pi. But yeah, if this is a if it's got a if it's got an RF chip uh, that can be connected and doesn't need to constantly you know page over Wi-Fi, there could be like yeah, I guess you could run it just from a battery pack. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah so you um, can use, um, I have, uh, I already had a whole bunch of these little um, called NRF, NRF something chips so mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, you can connect to the Arduino and um, use them to communicate with each other. And right. Before I used the my sensors, it was always really, really difficult to get the, um, things to communicate over the RF. Um, like mm. you know, I basically had to get to all that low level stuff myself, and um, yeah. the my sensors makes it super easy. The library handles all the communications and. Um, don't really have to write any code for um, to handle the radio. So in terms of if you've got like an RF device, so let's say you've got, uh, for example, a motion sensor that you want to connect through my sensors over RF, do you have um, the code, you know, you create little my sensors device on Arduino and have it push over RF. How do you then receive the motion sensor events into Home Assistant. Do you have like a my sensors gateway that connects to RF, or do you need to get an RF um, radio yourself and and sniff out the packets that are being sent across? Yeah. So um, you start uh, with a, a my sensors gateway. Um, you uh, can connect it um, either via USB or uh, Wi-Fi or uh, MQTT. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so originally I had, I created a My Sensors gateway on a Arduino that I connected uh, via USB to my Raspberry Pi. So that, um, yeah, was connected via USB and also had the RF trip to communicate with the uh all the other nodes mm-hmm. yep. um and uh when i when i upgraded my raspberry pi to use a ssd um i actually started having trouble like somehow the usb arduino was interfering with the boot from the ssd so right. um at that point i switched over to um, I used a ESP8266 um, and created a My Sensors gateway that connects by oh, Wi-Fi. Nice. Yep. So one of my one of my first Arduino projects uh, way back uh, when I was still using uh, SmartThings. Yeah. I I so I had some um, LG. Uh, outlets um with with little rf controller light switches right um like just using a you know proprietary rf those i had bought before i got any of the home automation stuff Mm. and so once i started with smart things um i then 
um, basically took apart one of the remotes for those uh, light switches and uh, soldered some wires to it and hooked <laughs> it up to our Arduino and um, was able to control it. And SmartThings had, uh, uh, in the beginning, they they sold a thing called a called a thing shield. Yes, um, yeah. That you could basically bridge a Arduino to to their hub. Yeah. And um they they discontinued it after quite a short time. I thought that was kind of disappointing, but I still had mine it worked. Um and yeah. Um, so yeah, when I came to Home Assistant, I found this, uh, found my sensors and switched it over to use that. And mm. still so how did you great. know where to solder on that remote? Like, was it an RF remote that you were just uh, able to get schematics for online and work out? Was there a tutorial that you had to follow or? Uh, no, a uh, bit of trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. I like it. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, I touched the wire here and saw the light turned on. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I still don't know if, you know, I'm doing things kind of wrong that might eventually fry it. But yep. I'm surprised after 10 years that's still working. So that's I think, if, yeah, at least if it's we're still working after 10 years, then you've definitely got your money's worth out of it, right? That's right. Um, and uh, so, uh, like on the show, you were talking recently about the stand-up desks. Um, yeah. Yeah. I ha- I have uh, one that's, you know, I have a regular desk with a platform on it that just raises up and down. And um, when I when I got it, um, one of the one of the first things I did to it was I created little device using a servo motor and. Um, some 3D printed parts to to just press the buttons to make it go up and down. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and again, hook that into my sensors. And yeah, I thought it was funny. You thought I was the only one. Why would I want a desk that I can, you know, control with my voice assistant or anything? But then. I heard on the show you guys started talking. I get and I was <laughs> like, I guess other people do this too. That's yeah. right. Well, if it can be done, why not? Right at that point. <laughs> yeah. I think I was reading um, somewhere either on uh, Twitter recently or on Reddit. I can't remember. I, I do apologize to the, whoever originally put it out there, but I think they have like um, a special like way of working. Like they want to do work spans in like 25 minutes. Like it's, there's a name uh, for this like type of working, right? Where you go, just go hard for 25 minutes and then maybe take a break for 10 minutes or something. Um, but it would be a great mm-hmm. use case for like a, a, a desk, right? Like if you need to focus for 25, like you could uh, for people that, you know, spend every day at their desk, you know, you could have, your desk automated in that, you know, yeah. for the, before lunch, uh, you have to be standing up. Then after lunch, you know, it goes down automatically. Or, you know, if you've been sitting down for however long, it says, all right, now you've got to stand up and actually raise the desk up for you. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, a sit-stand desk is awesome idea to automate with. Yeah. I think it, it would it'd be cool if you integrate it with, like, your, you know, whatever video, um, like, Webex, Zoom, whatever, mm. right? Like using whatever API, and it's like, okay, if you're on a call, you don't want the, you know, camera to look at look like you're like playing, like, oh, look <laughs> at me go down the escalator or whatever, right? <laughs> so, you know, it'd be it'd be it'd be actually pretty cool. I actually, that's something actually pretty interesting <laughs> at that point. So, I actually liked the use case uh, someone mentioned recently. Uh, that when their robot vacuum comes in the room, they'd rate, they'd have the desk raise up to oh, to get to wires get out the, the way. Cords out the way, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a great yeah. use case. 
So I guess um, so. you mentioned before that you're considering moving, like getting home assistant in your dad's house. Have you got any ideas in what you want to achieve by doing that? Um, so he recently started uh, getting some, uh, basically he got all the ring security system equipment. Nice. And um, I started looking into... Um, if I could integrate that with Home Assistant. And he was telling me uh, that, you know, he was kind of didn't really want me to do that because he said the ring security system is professionally monitored. I want to make sure we don't interfere with it. Uh, But he also, um, he has uh, uh, basically some IR IR controlled uh, air conditioning and heating units. Oh yeah, um, that he had mentioned he would like to be able to control remotely. And uh, first, I had bought him a uh, Broadlink, Broadlink something device. Yeah, yeah. That, um, is able to control I didn't really like their interface um sure using using their software i was somehow only able to get the temperature to show in celsius which you know Mm -hmm. we don't use that much in the u.s (laughs) Um, true and so um i was playing with home assistant and figured out how to um, do all those same things. Uh, so so did you just build out your own um, controller or like like how did you how did you get to there or like how did you get all that information out of it? Uh, first I found um, how to integrate the the broadlink with home assistant and there was a uh, some third party GitHub Okay. Integration that uh, could create a little climate controller for it. Um, but then I started, I created a little, using ESP Home, I created some sensors for it, um, like a temperature sensor, mm-hmm. humidity sensor, and um and um, realized basically I'm giving him all this equipment and <laughs> um, seeing what I can tie together. So I um, added a IR, IR LED to the ESP home and um, yeah. found another, um, found, uh, yeah, ESP home actually had uh, something that will. Um, can um, do what I need with that. Yeah, that's interesting. So you use ESP Home and you use my sensors. You use like a bunch of the different things, right? Based on kind of what works best for that scenario. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you kind of gauge that, or is it just what code's available and what can I slap on here, or what? Like, well, sometimes it's uh, you know what's easiest, what I what I found to work with, but um, yeah. But sometimes, like, for my, at least for my own projects, I'll prefer the, the, um, my sensors. I, um, when I have, have a lot of the Arduinos already. And, yeah. um, and I, you know, like to, like to, you know, I'm a software developer. I like programming this stuff. And, mm. but, but, you know, like for my, Dad, I figured the um, ESP Home, just a simple Wi-Fi thing, would be good. So do you have, like, any off-the-shelf home automation products? Or do you try to, or would you prefer, like, for example, like, um, there is a product called Sensibo that you can use, and I think there's another one, Tato or Tato, however you want to pronounce it, mm-hmm. that is just a Wi-Fi device designed to control like air conditioning units for example would you um can do you have any devices that you've gone off the shelf with or would you rather build it out in arduino yourself where you know you've got control to automate it with 
I do have a whole bunch of, um, you know, regular light switches and, um, like, uh, uh, right. uh, door lock and, um, thermos, uh, um, a Z-Wave thermostat and, um, nice. I think one of the very first products I got when I got smart things was my, um, smart door lock. What brand Which, did you get? Like the Yale or I think it's, um, I think there's a few now. Slag. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And um, that's been good to me. Um, except when the the other day when the batteries died and I was <laughs> outside without the key. <laughs> yeah. That it's, is always, always my great. fear, right? Yeah. It's, it's always great until you lock yourself out. <laughs> yeah i've you know i prior to getting that thing i used to lock myself out of my apartment all the time <laughs> yeah um and you know when i since i got that i was so you know so smug i thought oh, i don't <laughs> need to hide a key outside i'll never lock myself out what can go wrong now yeah <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Does the door lock you um, have, because I know there's a few versions that way, some of it just, you know, keypads only, but others also have like a key um, on the door as well. Do you have the key version as well? So if you weren't so smug and had a key in, in your wallet, would you have been able to open the door? Yeah, yes, yes. So <laughs> okay. I've learned I need to uh, copy the key and put one outside somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um and yeah, I heard the the new newer ones also have um you, like contacts on the bottom. You mm. can hold a nine volt battery to them if it's dead. Uh, oh, that's kind of cool. I, unfortunately, mine does that. <laughs> yeah, I've always thought though, like, what is the point of having those contacts? Like, if you get home and it's you know three o'clock in the morning, you get home and it the door lock doesn't work anymore. You are that you've got more chance of carrying a key with you than you do a nine volt battery to get enough well, power yeah. to unlock your door, and yeah. you're not going down to the supermarket or uh, anywhere to get a nine volt battery at three a.m. You're probably just gonna, yeah. yeah, you're just gonna knock the door down, right? I don't know. You just, yeah, I've yeah. never, f- unless you're then hiding a nine volt battery in your garden for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I just think then you're better off just hiding a key, right? Like, yeah, exactly. But uh, you know, you know, there's there's a lot of people and and. I myself do this too is, is, you know, you find a trusted neighbor and you're like, okay, you know, here's a, here's a key, right? And or here's my nine volt battery. If I ever come at three in <laughs> yeah, the morning right. for a nine volt that's battery, right. you need to give it to me. Yeah, Don't give me a I'm cup sure, of sugar, I'm but sure give me the nine volt battery. I'm sure they'd love you when you're knocking on the door for a nine volt battery, <laughs> but. I guess you could keep a battery in your car um, and then yeah. if someone steals your car or get breaks into your car, they don't get a key to your house, which. Yeah. That would probably be the ideal place. Yeah. One thing I kind of wanted to ask you guys about was, um, so the, um, for my light switches, like I've, you know, always thought it was kind of important, um, Mm -hmm. to still have a physical light switch. Um, so you can, um, you know, I have a few Z-Wave light switches that I've wired in, but yep. you know, that's a real pain to do yourself or or yeah. if you get an electrician that's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh the um I wanted to talk about the Shelly um mm-hmm. products. That's I guess you still need to wire those in, right? Yeah. Yeah. So from my understanding, yeah you need definitely need to 
you need to wire them in, similar to um, what you would do with like a, a Z-Wave uh, Zim, uh, a Z-Wave dimmer or a switch, right? You'd still have yeah. like your momentary switch at the front, but then behind it you have the actual smarts behind it. So basically you still have your same existing switch, right? And, yep. Um, yeah. Because I think, Ron, we had a, a guest on recently that had um, Shelly, and they were saying that... Um, because they just have the same the, the toggle switches, right? But mm-hmm. behind them are Shelly, so everything it looks like a normal switch. Um, but as soon as you've turned it off or on, um, Shelly in the background will know that you know, okay, the, it's been toggled. Um, do a state or send a, no- a notification that's yeah, been changed. Exactly. So the the paddle or the, or the like the flick or whatever that the outside of the switch essentially is just used as a exactly what you said, Phil, as, as a toggle. Mm. and um, essentially Shelly is like, okay, it's keeping state of that, and it's also keeping, obviously, it's got the relay to keep it, to, you know, cut on and off the power as well. Yep. Um, and, and at that point, it kind of does what it has to do, whether it's on or off or blink or whatever. <laughs> so so Shelly can, can toggle the actual light on and off, and the switch is just notifying Shelly. Yeah, yep, exactly. Basically, uh-huh. yeah. So that way, let's say you've got like a switch, right? And, you know, generally, um, yeah, I'm thinking of how American switches are, like up is off and, and down is on. Um, so in that case, you know, if... <laughs> uh, other happy. way, uh, other way, up is on, other way. Is off. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I find that um, sometimes, you know, I don't really pay much attention to that. Like... Mm. Sometimes kind of do they it. seem to be one way, sometimes the other. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I've literally been in <laughs> when before I bought this house. I was uh, again quite a few years ago, and I, when I was looking at houses and stuff, there was there was one house which was you know two switch. I think it was the bathroom, two switches, one for the one for the fan and one for the uh, lights, and the lights was up is on and fan was down is on or something like that. And I was like, Oh my God. Okay. So oh, this is sorry. clearly somebody that, that just, yeah, a proper electrician would not do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. Like, and, but yeah, I was just, Oh my God. Like it was, it was annoying. But yeah. So I guess, you know, if in that situation, like if you've got a, a switch and you go into home assistant and you tell home assistant to change the state of whatever light is connected to that Shelly, the switch, of course, obviously on the wall won't move. But then when you go up to the wall and you toggle the switch to the opposite direction, uh, Shelly will then know, okay, the switch has been moved and the light is on, so now turn mm-hmm. it off. Um, I guess, you know, it makes it a bit uh, better for people that, you know, don't want to care, like don't care about, you know, home assistant or, you know, any smart home. They just, if they flick a switch, they expect something to happen. So I guess that's where it comes in handy. Yeah, and and but but again, the, the general guidance is still like if if you know if you want to switch out this entire like switch itself, right, and do that. Um, if you're not comfortable with doing that, or you'd want to call an electrician to do that, I mean, realistically, you probably should call one for the to do the Shelly too, right? Because you're still working right. with the power. Yeah. Right. So that's the only. And just... If you're outside, I don't know, like you crazy North Americans, right? I guess you're only like 120 <laughs> volts or something. But if you're in Australia, you do need an electrician. You must, you know, it, it is law that you have to get an electrician to do it. I don't know what, you know, you yeah. crazy people in North America think you're doing. But yeah, definitely get a professional in all the time. Especially, uh, like, heard, uh, What's the slang that you guys call them? Sparkers? Sparkies. No. Sparkies. Sparkies. Get a sparky in to, to do your switches, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I think generally it is it is pretty similar here. Um, I think it's also like you do you take you take somewhat of a risk, right? If something happens, yeah. whatever your house burns down, and the insurance is like, mm, "Can I see the electrician that did this?" And yep. You're like, "Well, I kind of did it myself." They're they're gonna tell you to go pound sand when you ask for <laughs> you ask for you know how much ever your uh, your house costs, right? So there's some level of risk there too. I think. Uh, and it depends on depends on jurisdiction too, right? I guess it depends on you know region or county or whatever based where you're based. What was making you think of the the Shelleys, Dan? Like, wouldn't I know you mentioned you got a, a Z-Wave door lock? Like, wouldn't you try and stick with the Z-Wave ecosystem? Um. Well, yeah, I do. 
um, kind of, I mean, that's also one of the reasons I prefer the MySensors uh, over ESP Home. I do kind of, kind of like to stay away from the Wi-Fi things uh, where yeah. I can, mm-hmm. but, but I don't know, I do use some, some Wi-Fi equipment. Um, yep. Uh, I think the Wi-Fi might be more reliable than, um, well, Z-Wave I don't think I've had a problem with, but Zigbee, um, I have some Zigbee stuff too, and that occasionally drops. Mm. But, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. But what are you using to power your Zigbee network? Is it still going through the SmartThings hub, like as the controller? At, at first, I, I did it. Um, first, when I switched over to the to the Home Assistant, I was still using the SmartThings to control it, but um, I eventually bought a, um, a Nortec. Oh yeah, nice. USB, yeah. Um, Z-Wave and Zigbee dongle. Because I found like since moving over um, to Decons with my Zigbee network. It has been so much more reliable because um, I was always like giving so much shade to Zigbee. You can go back in early episodes of the podcast, right? <laughs> like I was frustrated t- to the hell with my Zigbee network. I thought I was running um, those uh, CC two five three one chips um, with Zigbee to MQTT. Uh, oh yeah, get, yeah. Like that, yeah, that's I the one you had to sniff the... and whatever, right? Yeah, uh, oh, or the worst. like for whatever reason, like Philips Hue and Xiaomi devices just wouldn't act as repeaters for each other. And I have like, you know, 20-odd Lightify um, Osram Zigbee lights that wouldn't act as repeaters. Um, but since moving over to Decons, like, yeah, everything has just been a super uh, Zigbee network. Granted, I do have a couple of Zigbee lights that randomly go unavailable or need to be repaired. Like I've got a an IKEA light bulb out in the garage that is no longer connected. Um but you know, other That's than that, bizarre. like, yeah, it's very strange. But other than that, yeah, Zigbee's been pretty rock solid, um, which I've been quite impressed with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I finally got uh, most of my stuff stable and not not dropping. Uh, yeah. Added a few, um, just a few outlets that I don't even need, but just act as repeaters. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so. are you using any like voice assistants or have you got any tablets around the home to do any like interfacing with home assistant? Um, yeah, I do use the Amazon one all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And what do you, what do you, so how do you primarily interact with, with your, with, with home assistant then? So is it, do you use a tablet or, or is a tablet just like a, cause I know, I know um, we were talking about this in the last episode we recorded where like, again, Phil has his tablet for like a MQTT alarm panel, right? Like how do you, what do you, um, what do you use a tablet for? And, and is that primarily how you drive your um, home assistant installation or do you use voice primarily or like? Yeah. So I do uh, use mainly my Amazon device, uh, Yep. Voice assistant. Yeah. Um, Appre- appreciate you not um, saying the name. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, rarely go into the UI itself. Uh, yeah. Usually it's only if I'm away from home or something that I'll go mm-hmm. into the UI to. Um, I mean, I um, even. I also have the. Um, what I guess it's just a HomeKit integration right in the right. Home Assistant. Um, and so I use that to interact with it through Siri on my phone. Nice. Uh, obviously, I have an iPhone. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm away from home, that seems to have trouble communicating. So I'll go into the UI and uh, control things that way. Interesting. Um, yeah. But... Um, another thing I was uh, looking at was I was looking at MQTT. Uh, I've been kind of interested in, you know, seeing what I can do with that. But mm-hmm. I am wondering, like, why do I 
what will MQTT do for me that I can't do? Um, MQTT uh, is great for bridging systems together that don't natively talk to each other. So, um, you know, Home Assistant has MQTT Discovery, which is um, a standard that Home Assistant has for itself where other third-party systems can then create entities in Home Assistant on the fly. Um, But it's also good for, you know, just uh, as an example, I have a Rainforest Eagle, uh, which uh, gets the current power usage from my meter um, for electricity. And it then connects... um, So that gets the electricity that I'm currently using for the whole house and then publishes that to an MQTT topic just as a current, like a sensor value. And then I have a sensor in Home Assistant that knows to read that MQTT topic to get the value out. And so now I can get, you know, my whole house energy usage in Home Assistant as a sensor, which then goes into the energy dashboard. And I can then push that over into InfluxDB from Home Assistant. Yeah, it's, I I like to think of it as, you know, that one place where everybody says, hey, here's my state, or you say, hey, go become the state, right? One of those two. And based on that, it will, it's, it's one single place that, you know, all of these let's say thousands of devices can can talk to you and and you can pull everything from that one place right and and the nice thing with mqtt is because it's separate from uh, home assistant and things like that again even though it might be you know you might be using um like the like home assistant os or whatever um regardless it's still technically separate from from uh home assistant uh it holds state there too right so you know, when Home Assistant boots up, it goes, okay, great. Well, what is this switch? And it just looks at MQTT and it says, okay, it's on, right? Whatever. Or, or you know, what was the last known temperature of whatever else? Oh, 26. Great. Right. So that's the other, that's the other nice thing too. But I, I got to say, Dan, I do appreciate you asking that question because I think we've talked about MQTT maybe 7,000 times on this show, but we've <laughs> never actually explained it. So that is, uh, I actually really do appreciate you asking that. Yeah, the yeah the first few times I had heard about it, which uh, yeah. may have been here, um, I was always like, uh, "What is this?" And <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's funny how many of those things like. It's again, even Phil just mentioned Rainforest Eagle. As he said that, I'm like, Rainforest Eagle, why does that sound familiar? And like Googling it and like looking at what it is and whatever, right? It, 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 but this is genuinely why I, I think why Phil and I do the show too, because it's like, uh, we don't know half these things. So it's like, <laughs> it's a good way for people to tell us what, what things people are looking at and so on. So the good thing about MQTT as well is that there's so many like random devices that, uh, because it's, you know, a standard um, that random devices will just connect to, right? So um, I think I have a Dyson um, smart fan um, and heater combo, and there is a custom component in Home Assistant, which I believe uh, Mm -hmm. you can use local connection to the Dyson because it basically connects to the Dyson. They run their own MQTT or something. I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that's how I've read it. So there's a lot of like random things that could just connect to an MQTT broker that you define and then you can then uh, suck out that information. You know, there's heaps of software out there to view what's going on on an MQTT server. You can just, you know, create a sensor value from it in Home Assistant and away you go. The good thing about uh, MQTT as well is that it's very, very lightweight and so it's very, it's made for Internet of Things devices, right? Um, very smart, uh, very snappy, right? So because it's basically text, um, the payloads that are going across are very small, um, mm. and because of that, you know, it's great for you know if you send an on command over MQTT, the receiving device is going to get it very quickly. So it becomes you know fantastic for you know all those smart home devices that need instant status updates. It scales crazy, like a lot too. Mm. So, so I'm guessing. Uh... 
basically if there's not a native integration in Home Assistant for your product, then chances are you can use MQTT for it. Maybe yeah. if Maybe. if they expose uh, if they can if they expose yes. MQTT or allow you to, or to glad their device to connect to your MQTT server or broker, I should say, in in this to use the correct terminology. Um, but there are ways. So, for example, I've created um, HA Docamon, which I um, currently work like in my uh, dev branch, which I apologize I haven't updated for quite some time. I have the ability for uh, Docker containers to be exposed to Home Assistant as switch entities, uh, and that's all powered by MQTT. So you could have um, servers running around the home with Docker containers running on them, and you know the little script that I've written will then publish a state to MQTT, which will then get fed into Home Assistant to say, you know, this Docker container is up or down or, you know, running this image. You know, if you have the ability to access an API, uh, for example, if you can find an API to for an air conditioner that might not be integrated with Home Assistant, but you don't want to do a complete integration for Home Assistant, maybe you're like me, you don't know Python, um, you don't want to get go down the whole writing a custom component, you could create your own little uh, script in whatever language you prefer. Mine would be Node.js. You know, write a little script interface with the Air Conditioners API and publish that into topics into MQTT, and then you can bring that into Home Assistant with uh, the MQTT climate device, for example. Um, so, yeah, many of you, like, if, if you're, like, I know you're a software developer yourself, so um, I think that would be probably the best use case, like, for you yeah. to be, if you can access APIs, bridge them, and pull them in as home assistant entities through MQTT. Yeah. So a lot of times you'd need that, like, you know, third-party script or or something that you build yourself that, uh, you know, that that lets you take whatever and then dump that in a standardized way into MQTT, right? Mm. Um, some of the other in, more interesting things is, like, I, I've got I've got security cameras that do again, object detection and things like that. So it does like a people count and things like that. And they actually natively dump into MQTT. So to say like, okay, great. So now I can actually take that and overlay that information where, you know, from a home assistant perspective, that might mean that, okay, this is just a numeric counter, right? Um, to say, okay, I have three people that it that it sees, right? Or or whatever. Um, so then and, you would and, have like a sensor that says people count in living room three. Correct. Exactly. Yep. Based on what the, what the camera sees and so on, right? And then same, it does the same with like Lux and all that stuff. So, but all of this stuff is coming from a camera, right? So how do I natively pull a lot of that stuff in? Um, so because they deliver that mechanism via MQTT, um, we can just I can just say, okay, you know, Home Assistant, look at this value, and that is how bright the room is. Look at this other value, and that's how many people are in this room, right? So, um, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. And before I really knew too much about MQTT, uh, one of my it, one of my main questions was always, uh, like, I didn't understand. Was it over Wi-Fi, which I guess now I know it's, that's pretty much what it, it would yeah. run over Wi-Fi, right? So. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. It's so it's, yeah, so MQTT definitely requires, um, like, some form of connection over, you know, LAN, basically. You know, you can have an MQTT broker yeah. running up in the cloud if you want to, and you can, you know, bridge devices you know, you could have uh, car GPS trackers, I think, might publish to uh, an MQTT broker um, up mm -hmm. in the cloud, and then you can have Home Assistant connect to that and um, pulling your car's location, for example. Um, or you can just have it running locally. But yeah, the upshot of it is, because it's IP-based, you would need the device or some bridge to the device to be connected to the internet or to the, your local network to be able to connect yeah. to that broker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks. And so, Dan, like, so I guess, you know, we mentioned before um, that, you know, you're going to move Home Assistant up into your dad's house and, and, and go that way. What about your own home? Like, how many people have you got running, how many people have you got at home at the moment? And, and do you have to account for anyone else in your home with using Home Assistant? Well, it's just uh, just me in my home, so, yeah. um, which, you know, 
can be kind of convenient when, you know, <laughs> when things go down when they aren't working, there's no one to complain. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, de- de- definitely definitely take those uh, those blessings if you want. When <laughs> one thing doesn't work, you say, "Hey, turn on this light," and it's like you just get yelled at. But yeah, um, and, um, you know, and when it, when something doesn't work, you know, rather than go over and flip the switch manually, I have to come in here and you know spend an hour trying to figure out why it's <laughs> not working. That's right. Uh, That's right. That is. Why 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 bother trying to fix it or why bother trying to just go up or go up to it and and flick a switch when you can spend several hours trying to troubleshoot something right? <laughs> but and so what are you using for um, presence detection or do you even bother with presence detection or just use the Home Assistant app as you know? Uh, yeah, where just you're using on? the Home Assistant app on my iPhone. Uh, just the I yeah I. Actually, I have, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone probably has had some few false, uh, you know, yeah. I'll be sitting at home and suddenly all the lights will turn <laughs> off because home assistant thinks I'm not home. <laughs> so I, um, I set up like a, a virtual a uh, person, an AD, and home assistant. I yep. forgot exactly how I did that, but um, I so I also have uh, have a sensor pinging my iPhone. Right. That that's not always not too reliable because you know a lot of times the iPhone goes to sleep. And, yeah. But that combined with GPS, I. Forgot exactly how I made it more reliable, mm. but <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, somehow it is. Sounds like you could use like a, a Bayesian sensor as well, like probability. You know, if you're within five kilometers of home, and you know your phone was last connected to the network, you know, within thirty minutes, and you're probably home, right? But then if you go outside of that radius and your phone hasn't been connected for a while, you're not home. Yeah, I guess that's one way to improve it. Phil, Phil loves his Bayesian sensor, by the way. Talks about this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like the I, what I've. I find them very confusing to set up, um, yeah. but I do like the you know probability of things. Um, I'd have to check my config to see what even um, like what Bayesian sensor I've, I've got to set up at the moment. Mm-hmm. I have one. Oh yeah, and that's my that's why. Um, so I have a Bayesian sensor set up uh, for the home to consider if someone is in her side. Like, so I don't care if someone's home, but. Um, uh, you know, if any of the motion sensors have detected uh, motion um, or if their TV is on, um, you know, if uh, the guest mode is activated, these all add into probabilities to say that, you know, if something, uh, depending on how many things are open, like uh, uh, true, then, you know, the, the home will know that someone is inside. Right. Um, and then, of course, if, you know, two motion sensors get activated and the alarm panel is activated, or armed, I should say, then I'll get an alert. But if, you know, one of the motion sensors is just bugging out because a car's driven past and a shadow's come across the wall, uh, I don't want to necessarily get an alert to say that someone's broken in if one motion sensor's detected something. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, I might look into that. What What is that? Uh, so the Bayesian sensor, it's like a yeah. platform that's native to Home Assistant. Um, and it basically takes a group of sensors, so you define the sensors. Uh, so, for example, if I was to give it two motion sensors or three motion sensors, I could say that if, um, you know, the two motion sensors at the front of the house, if, you know, if they're both marked as seeing motion, uh, I might give them a weight of, you know, like 60% or 0.6 um, probability that, you know, someone is in the house. And then for the whole sensor, you have like a threshold, um, and if the threshold goes above, you know, like 85% or something, uh, then the Bayesian sensor goes from true, so, sorry, from false to true. Um, and then you know that someone is there. Like there's a whole, I, I can't explain it um, yeah. verbally, but there is a whole lot of documentation that uh, can do it better. It is the Bayesian sensor. Um, we'll leave links in the show notes, obviously. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's been in home business for quite some time. 
Um, and I think it's a really powerful sense. Like, obviously, I've just done a, an example of using motion sensors, but I know people have, I think even in the home and docs, there's been some great examples of just random things that people can uh, ascertain, you know, if something is working or not. Yeah. I think someone's done, like, washing machine, detecting if it's running or not based on power levels um, and, you know, door states and a whole bunch of stuff. So, yeah. Definitely look into that. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you how to spell that, but if it's in your show notes, I'll pull it. Yeah. yeah. Just in case people are listening, it's B-A-Y-E-S-I-A-N. All right. Well, Dan, thanks so much for taking the time today to talk to us. Really appreciate it. Like, I'm definitely going to have to look into these my sensor things and uh, yeah. maybe, maybe I'm going to have to buy a soldering iron, I think. <laughs> Ooh, just okay. start, Here's start just randomly trip. soldering things, right? And hope for like I, I strike gold <laughs> like Dan did. No, like, <laughs> like that. I'm terrible at soldering, but you know, whenever I have to solder, um, you know, deathly afraid I'm gonna <laughs> short something, but <laughs> blow something up. Yeah, that's why and, I've refused to buy one so far. And usually, I do end up shorting something, and then spend hours extra trying to unsolder it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is why I buy pre-made things, right? That's, That's right. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dan. We really do appreciate it. Um, yeah. Speak soon. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.